The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Baseball is back and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. And with the NFL draft just days away, don't forget to check out First Draft with Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday, late afternoon. Los Angeles folks joining us today, joining me from Los Angeles. Um, I don't want to assume where she is, but I think she might be in the San Fernando Valley. I am. The quintessential Valley girl, right? (laughs) (laughs) At least on our staff. Of course. Uh, Ramona Shelburne. Hi, Ramona. Hey, Bri. And joining us also from Los Angeles is Om Young Masuk. How's it going, Om? I'm doing good. Are you guys old enough to remember the song Valley Girl? It was from the 80s. Early 80s, though. Early 80s. Early 80s. I was a toddler. You're revealing yourself a little bit. (laughs) I'm old. I'm old. I think most people, Om, if I just say I'm from the place in Clueless that you're not, that everybody thinks is lame, (laughs) you know, and I think that's, that, that will suffice, right? That's, you know. Um, so, Om, you are in an interesting time right now. The teams that you are covering, uh, you, you, sp- you, your primary beat is the uh, Clippers, but you also uh, keep a special close eye on the Wizards for us, <laughs> amongst other things, or your other assignments. Mm-hmm. But the, the Clippers and Wizards are like red hot. <laughs> and so we wanted to have you on to t- talk about them a little bit. But start with your primary job covering the Clippers. The Clippers – uh, as we do this on Monday afternoon, they um, have a game, uh, quote unquote, tonight in New Orleans. I mean, by the time this pod comes up, we'll know what happened there. But um, and then they have a really interesting game Wednesday in Phoenix, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they've won 11 out of 12 games. Um, I'm not sure how many of these have been without Kawhi. Um, a lot of them have been without their full roster. They haven't had their full roster all year. Um Paul George in the month of April, which this streak stretches longer than that, but in the month of April, Paul George has played 10 games going into tonight. He's averaging uh, 30 points, 29.6 points, eight rebounds, five assists. Um, he shot the ball well throughout the whole season. He's he's uh, shooting 44% on threes during this stretch, but he's you know been one of the best three-point shooters in the season. And really playing like the guy he said he was going to be at the beginning of the year. Um, Ohm, what are we learning about the Clippers as they've built this, you know, this is the type of team we thought they were going to be building towards the playoffs? Uh, A few things. First, PG revenge season is fully back on. Uh, When they started the season, PG was in this revenge mode where he was ready to bounce back and prove people wrong and all the critics. He started off great. He obviously was an all-star, and then he hurt his toe. And then he basically had this injury called a bone edema in his toe, which kind of knocked him out for a stretch of games. And then he came back, and it kind of flared up again. And then he said he had like a mental breakthrough where basically he just told himself, I got to play through the pain. I'm just going to ignore the pain and I'm just going to do what I can. And since then he has taken off. He has scored 32 or more 
I think in seven of his last eight games. Now, this also has coincided with Kawhi Leonard being hurt and being out. Kawhi, to answer your question earlier, has not played in the last three games and has only played in, I think, one of the last eight games due to a foot injury that he's managing as well. And I think this is kind of maybe the crux of the issue for the Clippers. The Clippers have played by far their best basketball season. They've won 17 of their last 20 games. And you have to give a ton of credit to Ty Lue, who has managed to just kind of win these games with like a crew that has existed of like Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, Patrick Patterson. He's brought a lot of these guys because every night they don't have their full crew. They have not had Serge Ibaka, Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George on the same floor since I think March 11th against Golden State. Serge Ibaka has been out for 22 straight games with a back issue. Um, When he comes back, I would not be surprised if he's not the starting center anymore because Ivisa Zubats has played so good in his replacement. And Patrick Beverly's been out with a fractured hand, and he's out indefinitely, although I think he's been on the court and he's been trying to come back, and perhaps he can come back soon. I asked Ty this yesterday. I said, Ty, how many games do you need with your full roster and your starting group together on the floor to kind of develop some sort of semblance of chemistry before you enter the playoffs? And he was like, right now. (laughs) I don't think he's going to get maybe five games, if that, with his whole full starting five and his roster at full strength before they enter the playoffs. And so in, in many cases, as good as they played, I'm not sure where their chemistry and continuity is going to be come playoff time, much like last season, or the last season they had to deal with that pandemic pause, and then they went into the bubble, and a bunch of guys had to leave due to deaths in the family. That's a little bit different. But this season, as good as Ty Lue has been, he still hasn't had his full roster at full strength. You know, um, this team and the way they're playing right now, it reminds me a little of the team two years ago before Kawhi and Paul George got there. They're like, they're kind of scrappy mm-hmm. and resilient and they're, they're really under the radar here. And I think, Brian, what's, what sort of happened here in LA is that the Clippers, they put up the billboards last year. They were talking the talk. LA our way. LA our way. Street lights over spotlights. Yes. Okay. Um, they, it was loud and it was this very confrontational kind of relationship with the Lakers. Like, we got your guy. You wanted Kawhi, but we got him. Like, it was very in your face. And they got, you know, Marcus Morris in, in the trademark. They, they got Reggie Jackson on the bio. They, they just kept beating the Lakers at every turn. And then the Clippers did the, the clips clipped, right? Like, they just choked in the playoffs. And everybody was like, you know what? We're not doing this again. We're not doing the hype machine. We're not talking the talk. We're just going to very quietly go about our business. And I mean, they have been really good since the all-star game. They have the league's best record, 19 and five. Their, their defense is, is about a little bit better. They were doing 111 and a half points before the, before the break for a hundred possessions. Now they're 109. I mean, right this now is, they're ranked 10th, they're 10th in defense. They yeah, could, you know, they're getting we'll better, happens, but and they're not, but, you doing, know, and, and Kawhi hasn't been there for a lot of this. Like he's been yes. in and out. So to me, Brian, like, I think they're just very, like they're very under the radar right now, but they're, they're building and maybe, maybe that's how it should be. Right. I, I think the Clippers are, if they're ever going to win one, right. If they're ever going to break through, I don't think they're going to do it as favorites as, as the guy out and as a team out in front, the sort of team that everybody's expecting a lot of, I think they're better as underdogs. Well, you know, historically, and we're in this strange season where offense rules over everything. And yeah. um, I'm expecting that to come back to reality in the playoffs, but I don't know. Um, you know, typically if you have a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense, yeah. you've got a shot at it. 
So they've crept up into the top 10 in defense, and they have the number two offense in the league. And they play for all of Ty Lue's over the years talking about wanting to run or whatever. Mm -hmm. His teams have always played very slowly. In Cleveland, they played slowly, and the Clippers play slowly. Um, But the fact that they can play slowly, in fact, they're 27th in the league in pace. Um, The fact that they can play slowly and still be the number two offense um, indicates to me that they're executing well. Um, um, do we, you know, the injury on Ibaka like has sort of lingered on. Are we sure Ibaka is going to be okay for the playoffs? Well, I, I think so. Um, he is, he hasn't, I think he's only recently gotten to four on four and maybe the past few days. Um, it has taken an ex- incredibly long time for him to come back. And I think that's part of the reason why they went ahead and kept DeMarcus Cousins for the remainder of the season. And listen, DeMarcus Cousins has given them a little bit of a guy that can change the pace of a game if need be. I'm not saying in the come playoff time he's going to play 10 to 15 minutes a game. There are going to be games where he probably doesn't even play. Um, he, he clearly on defense still has some issues, but offensively you can see where he can draw fouls in a heartbeat. Um, he provides them somebody that can get him an easy basket inside. And I think these are things where the Clippers – when they are humming along, their offense is it's it looks like a little bit like the Cleveland Cavaliers when they were on that championship run, when LeBron was running everything and they were just passing the ball magnificently, and they had a whole bunch of three point shooters out in the wing, and they all they would just make that extra hockey pass, basically the hockey assist, and the guy would make a three like right before the end of the buzzer. The Clippers are at their best when they do that. That's why they don't need to play at a high pace, but. When they do face these elite teams with elite superstars like Brooklyn, for example, there are times when Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden start scoring and making their buckets. And then all of a sudden you see Kawhi and PG try to match them. And then the passing stops and the ball sticks. And that's when the Clippers are not as good. And that's why I think guys like Rondo will help them in the playoffs move the ball, but also as opposed to having Kawhi and PG initiate everything and try to do everything, a guy like DeMarcus Cousins who they can throw in in maybe spurts who can get them an easy bucket inside will help them a lot because when they face those yeah. elite teams, they have trouble scoring in the last five to six minutes of a game sometimes. When Cousins was in Houston this year, he just he was not a good offensive player. He shot 37%. He was putting up five threes a game. He was not hitting them, and they cut him. They just they said goodbye, and it took a while for him to get another job. Now that he's in this role, he's back to being more the traditional player that he was, playing on the inside. Now he's taking one three a game, and he's shooting 49%, much more efficient. He's not averaging a ton of points, but he's getting them those baskets. Ramona, let me ask you this. Um, the one thing about Paul George is that I, the guy has shown he is – when he can be a top 10 player mm-hmm. in the league. Um, but he sometimes gets in his own way. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I know that he regrets, he's got to regret uttering playoff P in that mm-hmm. one moment of, of a little bit of hubris. Um, and it's just been used against him. And he's got to be in that town where you know yeah. where it can be. Yes, the as Olm just described, the Clippers have some functional things that they have to worry about, but you know that mental block is real. And um, and you know, as the Lakers have sort of you know really backslid uh, as they've dealt with life without LeBron and AD, 
the Clippers have taken off, but as you've mentioned, nobody's really given them credit. They've got a they've got a couple of hurdles to overcome to get this done. I actually think they're absolutely fine with not getting any credit. I think it's better. I just I, I mean, last year, Ohm, you and I were around them a lot, and it was. I think they kind of fed into it, and and when you're like. A, an underdog by nature. Like you're, I, I'm going to psychoanalyze this, but when you're Patrick Beverly underdog, okay. Like by definition, I mean, this is a guy who's playing in Ukraine for a couple of years before he made it to the NBA. Like it, it's kind of weird to be the, to be the favorite. It's kind of, it's a strange role and you don't really know how to act in that role. And I, I think, you know, Paul George and Kawhi, they, you know, they turned a lot of heads when they said we actually grew up Clipper fans. That, that's who we were. I believe them. I think that, when you psychoanalyze like the fans in LA, who's drawn to be a Laker fan, who is drawn to be a Clipper fan. I, I mean, this, I, this is there. the psychology. Seriously. What do the, I know if he was a, it was a Clipper fan. Paul George went I'll to Fresno his, state. Okay. It, like, I know, but like he was a Kobe fan. Yeah. You t- I mean, I, don't I believe know. him. I, I wasn't there. You. I went I to Palmdale there. and his, and his, all the people at Palmdale who knew him growing up said he's a Clipper fan. Like he, there's, there's something about it. Like that you, that's the team you choose. You choose the underdog. I get it. Like it's, 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 that's, I think that's their psychology. I, and I think that he's fine with it. But Brian, you know, a couple over the last few years, there's, there's certain players in this league that, you kind of become this hot button, okay? So whether it's Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Paul George, where all of a sudden you get in this, in the, I don't know if you're this person on Twitter or if it's just the way you make headlines or the way you say things, but Paul's in that cycle right now where anything he says, people rip him for it. It's just, it doesn't matter what he says now. It's it just something, some way it comes out, people go, ah, you know, and then we're talking about it on the jump or people are roasting him on Twitter or whatever it is. And I actually think I've known him a while. I know you have too, Brian, like since you covered him a lot in the Eastern Conference and all those playoff battles he had there. I, I think he's a really, he's, he's one of those people. He probably just talks too much. He's very, like you ask him a question and the, you know, in the, in the modern media, sometimes the best thing you could do is just repeat back the question and say as little as possible. Paul actually tells you what he thinks. Paul actually, you know, gets into an answer. It's why he won the Magic Johnson Award a couple of years ago, right? Um, and he gives expansive answers. And the more you talk and the more you say, especially in this Twitter era, the more somebody's going to find something you say that's going to be aggregatable, okay? That's going to be a, a, a Twitter meme or whatever it is. And I think in that moment, he said the playoff P thing, cool. But it, like he didn't, he never thought like five years from now, I'm still going to be answering for it. But as somebody who's had this happen to them, um, let's go back to, you know, last year when I was trying to explain the concept of narrative voters to Paul Pierce on the jump, I still hear about it. I'm like, gosh, I really shouldn't have said it like that. I was trying to explain a concept, but you can't do it like that. Like, I, I, I understand. He just says too much. He just doesn't always like he, he goes a little too deep. And in this world, the more you say, the, the, the more you're going to the more opportunity you have to say something that's going to get roasted. PG, I think, is the most trolled athlete I've ever covered. Yeah. And, and, and listen, well, Durant. much of my career obviously <laughs> hasn't gone. You know, much of my career was before social media. But Well, Durant's had a lot of success yeah. that he's yeah. been trolled. PG has not had success. success. Yeah. But, but yeah. how about this? Though? Yeah. But Kevin, Kevin brings a lot of – okay, both of them bring a lot of it on themselves, yeah. right? Because PG will say something yeah. and he gets trolled. KD literally actively searches it out on the internet and he will confront people, right? PG doesn't do that. But, like, 
literally, I think the only thing PG has not been crucified on on anything that I've tweeted about PG this season by a bunch of people was when he stood up against Asian hate. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like, yeah. that might be the only thing that nobody criticized Paul George on. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, anything Paul George says, you're right. When he starts talking, it's like he talks a little, he just goes, he, he just talks a little too much, but I appreciate it because he me helped too. me We're my the media. We like it. I just yeah. like guys that are candid and honest. Listen, how many yeah. athletes do we know can go through an epic playoff uh, a stra- a drought and slump in the bubble and then admit that he basically was depressed and that he went through mental struggles? And he even admitted this season again with his foot that mentally he had to basically convince himself that he this was going to be it. He's going to have to play with the pain. He's going to have to play through this the entire season. Then he had a mental breakthrough. I mean, I like him for that. I like him that he admits stuff like that because he's very candid. On the opposite end, Kawhi Leonard. The la- We've talked to Kawhi Leonard right, because, yes, he's been hurt. But prior to him being hurt, I think we haven't talked. We talked to Kawhi maybe once in the last three weeks. And the last time we talked to Kawhi, he took three questions and then basically bolted. And so Kawhi doesn't really say much. And on the other hand, Paul probably says a little too much. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think they've got to have their healthy, their guys healthy. By the way, Reggie Jackson, a guy who I've been frustrated with on and off on his career because of his style of play. He's given them a lift with Beverly and Rondo being out. He's played some big games. And um, ultimately, I thought their depth was a strength. And they've really – it turned out not to be, and they've really had to work managing this this roster and make some moves to try to figure this out. And this winning streak has been an ode to their depth. But, of course, when it really matters, they're going to need Kawhi and Paul George to play high-level basketball and be healthy to do it. But – they are right now, you know, heading into this game tonight. They are um, essentially tied. You know, they're they've got one more win than Phoenix and one more loss. So Phoenix is ahead of them by a couple of percentage points. Well, Phoenix, um, they have the tiebreaker against Phoenix, and that that's important because this is the the two three race, right? I think I think the two three race is going to come more into play instead of the three four race. But they do play Denver. This week later on, and they, that series, the season series with that with the Clippers in Denver is tied one one. So it's a pretty big week for the Clippers in terms of are they going to move up in the standings? Is there potential they fall to four? In which case, that we start talking about L A L A in the first round. Um, I mean, could they could they also very, be L A L A three six three six could also be L A L A, and and that's yeah. the, that's the thing too. Like, if I'm the Clippers, I'm doing everything I can. I'm not saying they can't beat the Lakers in the seven game series. You just don't want to face them in the first round, especially LeBron is healthy and AD. But like, this is as good as the Clippers have been. Seventeen of the last twenty games. This shows you how good Phoenix and Utah has been. That yeah. they barely gained ground on the that's Suns. True. They haven't moved up from three in like forever. Yeah, and the Suns are on this big East East trip and have dropped a couple games, and that's the only way the Clippers have gotten right on their heels. But yes, they play the Suns on Wednesday and then the uh, Nuggets on Saturday, uh, and then next week they play their last game with the Lakers. It's been some uh, rumblings that LeBron might be back, but I I don't think even if he's sometimes back, we're not going to see a representative game that quickly. So we'll see what happens there. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. 
As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. One of your other teams, your, your hometown Washington Wizards. We talked about the Wizards on this podcast a little bit last week when we were looking at the play-in situation. You can go to a lot of different places in the Wizards season, but I'm going to go back to when they were 6-17. and 17. Mm. So at one point they were 6-17, and 17, 11 games under 500. That was February 12th, okay? Um, they are 21 and 16 cents. Uh, now, that is not like championship-level basketball, but that winning percentage would have them as the third-best team in the East in that run if, it, if they projected out to a whole season. And obviously, at the beginning of the season, they got off to a horrible start. Westbrook was injured in the preseason and then not right. Uh, they had other injuries, and then they got slammed by covid terrible situation that affected them but this isn't just a hot streak okay you know we can look at it and say boy they've won what is it eight in a row right now um let's see if they play tonight i should have looked they this up before tonight. i ask yeah okay they play tonight against the spurs uh at home um uh you know it's not just a, a hot streak they've been playing really good basketball for a while now um, they made a couple of moves of the trade deadline um, that actually have really helped their depth. And, you know, they're in 10th. And this is the this is the point of the play-in tournament. I mean, I don't want to rehash old ground. They're, you know, there's still six games below 500. But, you know, they are a threat to some level. I mean, they're, you know, the, you know they're, I would be keeping an eye on them because, no matter what you want to say about them, they've got two stud players on their team. You get into a single game situation with those guys, either one of them could, I mean, Beal's a you know, leading scorer in the league. He could have 45. Westbrook could have a 20-20-12 game when it matters. They could really show their teeth, Ulm. Um, what has been working for them? You know, obviously Russell's been super hot, but what's been working for them as an organization that's gotten them turned around in the second half of the season? A couple things. Uh, one, you have to give a ton of credit to Tommy Shepard and Scotty Brooks for navigating a team through. They had a huge COVID outbreak for about like 11 to 12 days where Scotty Brooks was only seeing his players in the parking lot through the window of his car, waving to them as they were. one guy would get a COVID test and he was heading out and Scotty Brooks would oh. head in. Uh, for 12 days in the middle of the season, he did not see his players. Um, that's unbelievable. That's wild. Yeah. And then to turn around the season, remember they lost Thomas Bryant to an ACL season-ending injury. Um, they had Russell Westbrook banged up in the beginning. They've lost. They've lost, guys. Their depth has taken a hit. But what they did was Scotty Brooks kept saying, listen, uh, I know Russell Westbrook. He wants to win. He's going to turn this around. Uh, Bradley Beal has been playing phenomenal. And I, I think what we've seen is this Westbrook trade for John Wall 
it has worked out phenomenally this season. Yes, down the road, two or three years from now, are we going to say, man, the Wizards are going to regret Westbrook's contract, whatever, possibly. But for now, this season, it has worked out great. I had a conversation (laughs) with one of our editors who's a huge Wizards fan from D.C., and he's like, I can't decide whether or not I want the Wizards to make the playoffs or, you know, the Wizards should get a high draft pick and keep rebuilding that way. And I was like, no, you want them to make the playoffs because they, this, this organization doesn't make the playoffs very often. And when it does, you want young players like Rui Hachimura to experience that. Uh, obviously, they just lost Denny Avia for the season with a fractured ankle. But Daniel Gafford, that's yeah. the guy that they went and traded for in, a, in a, probably a transaction that outside of Washington, D.C. and Chicago, not many people noticed this guy, the Wizards, I want to say, have are like um, they've only lost. They're ten one and time. one. They're ten and one. Ten they've and one. One time with him in the lineup, he's not playing a ton of minutes yet either. Okay, it's not like he's playing thirty minutes a game. But what he's done is he's given them this athletic rim protector, another guy that Russell Westbrook can throw alley oops to inside, um, and it's made a huge difference. And look, the other, it's funny, the Wizards have not won eight straight games since Michael Jordan was in the nation's capital playing. And he won nine straight. That is the that is the all time longest winning streak in franchise history, which is done four times, but hasn't been done since two thousand one. And so Daniel Gafford was asked, like, "Hey, do you remember anything about Michael Jordan's a wizard?" And he had to think about it, and he was like, uh, "Vaguely, faintly, I don't think I do." Bradley Beal said the only memory he has of Michael Jordan in a wizard's uniform was the block on Ron Mercer, <laughs> the one where he just snatched it out of the air, and he goes, "And that's pretty much it." And he was amazed. Does the Wizards haven't won eight straight since then? I mean, they look, it's hard to be all that excited about a team that is 27 and 33. But right now, they're two games up on the Bulls and, and the Raptors for t- that 10th spot. That's the play in tournament. They're two games back of Indiana for the ninth spot. So I think, you know, realistically, they're probably going to end up in that 10 spot, maybe nine, depending on how the season finishes out, which means they have an outside chance at the eight, at making the eight seed probably. Right. Would you, that that's about right from where they are, but they've, they've gotten so much better since the COVID outbreak. And I think that's, I think that, you know, the Fred Katz who, who covers them on, um, who covers them for the athletic, you know, he was, he's, I'm always following him on Twitter. Cause he's uh, him and Bill Orem are the punny guys. Okay. in the NBA, the, they <laughs> just, I don't know. I just wait for their bad puns all the time. Um, but he had a, he had a stat. He said, you know, since February 13th, the Wizards are 21 and 16. They're eighth in the NBA in points allowed per possession over that stretch. That sounds a little like they're playing defense. Yes. Which is incredible. Because points. at the start of the season, yeah. they played no defense at all. No defense, you know? And the other and thing I, that's helped them is yeah. Davis Bertans, who yeah. was just, I mean, look, he was terribly out of shape, but they paid him to hit threes. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't hit threes for months. <laughs> and uh, during this win streak, I think he's shooting 47 or 48% on threes. That's a, a game changer for them. I mean, he mm-hmm. he's he's averaging, um, in his last 10 games, he's averaging 14 points and shooting 47% on threes. Um, that's That helps their offense open up with Beal. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, Ohm. Beal, as we all know very well, he has one year left on his contract. He is eligible to have an extension this summer. Unlike with uh, Giannis, um, he's not eligible for the early Supermax extension or whatever, the way Giannis got that money early because he's because the way his contract is structured, he's, he's at the point where he's going to get the highest max anyway. 
So he's not incentivized really to sign this summer. It, you know, he it, it's it, I mean, it, he obviously gets the protection of having the money guaranteed, and that's no small thing. But it's not like with Giannis, he 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 was incentivized. Um, do you think the way this team is playing right now, and the way he's playing with Westbrook, does this give any sort of traction? I mean, the season's not over yet. I realize. Does this give any sort of traction to Bradley Beal thinking like maybe this is where I want to? I mean, he's been committed all the way around, but that he might actually sign that extension this summer. I'm sure the Wizards are going to offer. It. My, my thought process on Bradley Beal is, and and you would never be surprised if any any star leaves a team for another team. But in this case with Bradley Beal, I would be surprised if he ever left DC. Uh, he's just been extremely loyal to this franchise, which is stuck by him through all those injuries. It's been so long now since Bradley Beal was out with a significant injury that we almost forget that at the beginning of the season, he was injury plagued. Um, and people thought, can this guy ever stay on the court? The way the Wizards have been playing now, and I feel like if the Wizards don't make the playoffs, they don't make the, the play-in game, and let's say they go through a losing streak and suffer another injury, knock on wood, but I, I still think Bradley Beal will look at this stretch and say, I see the promise, I see the potential with Russell Westbrook. Let's see what this looks like for you know, a full couple seasons. Let's see what it's going to – because he has said all the right things about how much he loves playing with Russell Westbrook. I would be shocked if Bradley Beal left Washington, D.C. Just with everything he was saying prior to the season and now with the way they've been playing with Russell Westbrook, I think he'd want to see it through. And also I just think he's that type of guy that he feels that loyalty to this franchise in this city. Well, Ramona, he can get $200 million added to his contract this year. And then if things go sideways later, he can always deal with it then. Well, and, but, you know. and this is where we get into the conversations that we always have about these extensions now. Are they being signed with a wink? And a, or a behind, you know, behind the scenes understanding that, okay, if you sign this extension, that, that allows us to build the team around you. But if you ever change your mind, you know, and this, and things aren't going in the, the right direction, you just kind of let us know and we'll look for a trade. I mean, that was, you know, what ha- we, we saw this happen in Oklahoma City. That's sort of how they got in a way with Russ and Paul George. Um, those guys signed those extensions and then very quickly things were going the other direction and they were both traded. Um, and they were done and it was done very well and professionally with no animus. I mean, you didn't, you didn't hear anybody taking shots at teams or players or anything. It was all done with an understanding. And, and I think that's, that's becoming how small market teams, and I, I would never refer to the Wizards as a small market team. Um, they're an underdog market. They're an underdog though. market, okay? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's becoming a, a new norm with these type of extensions and players that teams are trying to convince to sign long-term extensions. And, and I think there's you know a lot of people – so if he signs that extension, normally, Brian, we would say, okay, everybody will stop – Talking about him in trade rumors, they'll they'll stop lining up there. <laughs> no way, we'll never no let it way. happen. No way, I, and I think the same thing. You know, Giannis signed his extension. How long do you give that before people start talking about oh, trade let's, rumors? Let's see yeah. how this season ends. Right now, they're right. doing well. Yeah, that's right. Um. All right. Well, so the the Wizards. You know, I as you said, Ramona, it's hard to like look at a team as twenty six and thirty three and go, wow. Um, I'm sure like, number win 27 and 33. Eh? Sorry, I apologize. Yeah. And like, you know, they could get to the end of the season yeah. and, you know, still be six teams under 500 and they could get the, the 10 seed and get knocked out. But I do think what's happening is meaningful. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Speaking of meaningful, we have a, a really interesting game in the NBA that's happening tonight, but we won't get to know what happens when we're here. But that's Phoenix in New York putting um, uh, putting this Knicks win streak really to the test. Yeah. We've talked about it on the podcast. They continue to play beautiful basketball. Julius Randle continues to play brilliantly, um, really making a strong case for him to be an all-NBA player. Um you know, getting contributions up and on the lineup. RJ Barrett has been has been playing great. Um, Ramona, I know that you've you know been a close follower of the Knicks really since the Phil Jackson years because you were so close to Phil. Um, and I know you know Tibbs. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the Suns game tonight, and and they have a six game road trip that starts on Sunday uh, that goes out west. Where like you know one of the reasons the Suns need tonight's game so much is that they've taken a few on the chin on this East Coast trip. When you go out west, you you kind of get humbled a little bit. So it wouldn't surprise me if a week from now things look a little different from the Knicks. But just like we talked about with the Wizards, regardless of where this ends, this is meaningful not just today but going forward. Yeah, I mean. Look, when I when I look at what the Knicks have done and and you know just just putting them there is fourth in the Eastern Conference, Brian. I mean, I haven't been to New York, but there's a part of me that's like I want to just feel what it's like in New York to know when the Knicks are good again. When the when Knicks fans are proud of their team, when they're I mean, I see the videos outside the garden every night and people are running out of there like they won a championship. I mean, it's just like it's 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 fun to watch and I I know so many long-suffering Knicks fans. I'm happy for them. Um, the, the big question is how to, you know, how, how sustainable is this one, but, but also is this, is this the, the cap? I mean, they've won eight in a row or nine in a row now. Um, how much higher can they go? Are they just, are they a fourth seed that, you know, wins around? Can they win around in the playoffs? Can they, can they upset somebody in this next round and second round? I mean, that's, that's when you really are, are talking about a contending team and being good again. This is just, this is really just respectable again. Okay. Um, but you know, when I watch the turnaround that they've had this year, I, I can't, I, I, I think we should all just appreciate the way that franchise has been built. And it's a little hard to talk about Leon Rose, the president there, um, because he doesn't give any interviews. I mean, he has a, I still, that's, that's not an understatement. Conference? Yeah. I mean, literally, <laughs> has he done a press conference? I'm no, still waiting I for so. that introductory press conference. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of by design. And it's interesting to watch as a media person because we always want them to talk to us, okay? I mean, you know, you go back to the Donnie Walsh days, right, where he'd hold court at center center court and um, talk to everyone for 45 minutes before the game. Um, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, that was one of the things that Phil Jackson didn't do. He would have a press conference every once in a while. But I think when you close that off um, – it sort of turned the media against him. He was always a, a really good coach with the media. And then when he became an executive, he, he closed that door. And I, I think it really hurt um, the relationship there. But the fact that there's the only bad news I've heard out of New York in a while is just every once in a while, somebody uh, doesn't recognize a, a former Knicks legend, <laughs> some security guard, right? I mean, that's, that's about the only like Nixian thing that we've heard this year. And I, I don't even think you can blame the team for that. I have to say that the way Leon is running the Knicks is very much his personality. Yep. He's always been a behind the scenes guy. I mean, he was a very powerful agent. I mean, yeah, was the head of CAA basketball, which I, look, I don't have it right in front of me. I don't know if CAA was number one or Excel 
um, which is uh, Jeff Schwartz. I don't know if he was number one, but it's top two representation firms. He was very powerful. He was in the middle of many gigantically huge, important deals. Uh, he represented Chris Paul for years. So mm-hmm. any Chris Paul, all those power plays that Chris Paul played, yeah. all those moves, was Leon back there maneuvering. Leon was, you know, sitting in the front seat when the big three in Miami were formed. Yep. He, uh, CAA represented all of those players. He represented LeBron. Um, and he always tried to stay out of the limelight. Obviously, it was Iverson's agent. Um, I remember when LeBron signed his first ever contract extension with Cleveland. You know, uh, It turned out to be a bit of a, of a warning sign. He only signed for three years. But, <laughs> yeah. but back in 2006, you know, they made the playoffs for the first time and he extended his contract. And it was during Summer League and I found Leon in the crowd at, um, uh, at UNLV. And I mean, normally, you know, I, I think it was a 70 or $80 million deal at the time. I can't remember how much it was, but it was a, I certainly wasn't coming with any difficult questions. I was coming to talk to him about Cleveland's favorite son extending his contract with the home team. You know, it was, I was not, you know, coming to, uh, you know, pepper him with questions about some client who was, you know, wanted by the law. And, um, you know, I remember him saying to me, he's like, everything, he's like, I read your blog. You had everything you needed in there. And he just walked away. <laughs> and um, that's, that's just the way Leon yeah. has always been. Um, uh, but that does, that belies how uh, fierce he can, he can be. And so, um, obviously, this year is a honeymoon season for mm-hmm. the Knicks, Ulm. They are overachieving. And this is a thing, you know, every NBA team is a different place on the path. And um, one of the most glorious places you can be in terms of feeling good about yourself is the overachieving season. And so they're in that honeymoon right now. It's going to get harder for them. But, um, you know, you were on the East Coast for years. I, I mean, how many times did you see Leon, you know, standing in the back at Knicks games yeah. and, and Philly games and with Wes Wesley at his side. And um, I mean, it's really, it's really kind of a, 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 a pretty classic story, even if we don't know what the ending is going to be. Leon deserves his flowers and I cannot be more thrilled for Tom Thibodeau, who has always wanted to coach the Knicks. Remember he was a longtime assistant under Jeff Van Gundy. And to answer Ramona's question about what it's like in New York when they're playing good basketball, first of all, the last time they obviously because of the product of this season and starting late and everything, this is the first time New York is going to have meaningful basketball in May since 2012, 2013, when Jason Kidd was wow. on that team. That's a great point. The playoffs. That's a great. No point. matter how it ends, they're having meaningful basketball in May for the Knicks or the right. Nets. Yeah, and, and then to t- listen, I was there when they made their 99 uh, run to the NBA Finals in that lockout shortened season, and basketball in June in New York City. There's nothing like it. Uh, you, you walk around, the weather's great, it's warm outside, and you see people excited about basketball outside Madison Square Garden all over the city. And I thought, I remember then in 1999, I was like, you know, because the Knicks back then were good. They had Patrick Ewing, they had Allen Houston, Latrell Sprewell, and they were coming off those runs where they were just making the playoffs all the time. I was thinking, man, New York basketball, this is awesome. And then it, it never happened again. Like we never got to play <laughs> basketball that late into the summer or into the early summer. And you, I think these fans, when you see these videos of these fans just going nuts outside Madison Square Garden, this is a product of them waiting for this for decades now <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like and that's that's the only it's been 20 it's been 22 years since they made it into june i'm not saying the knicks are going to do this now 
But to have well, that's games, uh, there's an asterisk on right. that one if they make it to June. But to have year, meaningful still, games in May, this is going to be something mm-hmm. that this that that city is going to cherish. And yes, I get it. On the other side, you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. But right now, New York City, they are enjoying every little thing about this because they've just been starving for so long. Well, and you know, Brian, you and I have a mutual friend who's a huge Knicks fan. You had her on this podcast, Lisa Robinson from Vanity Fair, um, music Hall of Fame journalist. Um, she she always brings up that quote that Kevin Durant said, like the the Nets are the cool team in New York now, right? She is not uh, a fan of Durant. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair to say. But it's I feel like there could be a real rivalry here now. Like this is like I don't know. I think know. the Nets would make short work of them. You yeah. know, oh, in, I agree. In a, in a I, I don't healthy. mean on the court yet. Okay, but but like in terms of fan loyalty and they they sort of the Knicks have activated all of these fans who have been sleeping and you know just. So, Hard, you know, just waiting for this for years, no, just no, waiting for them. No, one problem again. with that is that the Brooklyn fans, and I'm not trying to slight, there are some hardcore Nets fans for sure, but for overall, the Brooklyn fans, they're just they just don't have the same fervor and and fan base mm-hmm. that the Knicks do. And like when I was covering the New Jersey Nets when they were making their runs to the NBA Finals, and absolutely thoroughly dominated basketball in that area for half a decade, the Knicks still had more attention even though the Knicks were losing all the time they had more fans and nobody cared about the Nets and I remember thinking like god what did the Nets have to do in order to kind of just have New to New York and then they did that (laughs) and they still don't have really the fan base they would have to win championships but I thought about this the other night they need to win it's like the Lakers and the Clippers they have to win the the basketball gods somehow you know just be fantastic if they gave it to us Lakers Clippers in the Western Conference Finals and oh. Knicks Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Woo! Uh, your big market bias. Oh, man. <laughs> How dare you? I know. You know what though? I'll say this. Like I know who was. I know who was a Nets fan back in those days. Um, yep. Little Kyrie Irving. Yes. Young Kyrie. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um. So when we talk about where does that come from? I mean, there's there's kids growing up in L.A. who only knew the Lakers when they were. Well, now they're good. Okay. But there were seven years where they missed the playoffs, right. and the Clippers were good. And so there's there's kids who grew up like that, where the Clippers were the hot team, they were the fun team, and the Nets are the fun team, the hot team. But you know, Brian, I think, and when we talk about the Knicks, and I think all of us need to do a good job of trying to dive in and. You know, just because Leon doesn't give a press conference doesn't mean we can't write about what's actually going on there and why it's working. But one of the things that I think um, that I've gathered just from talking to people in and around the organization, players, agents who deal with them, is that it really does help to have two guys who come from the player agent perspective running that operation. And I mean, Leon Rose and, and World Wide West, right? Wes Wesley. Um, these are guys who are used to taking care of players. They're, they know what players you know, want. And you know what they they're doing about. right now, Ramona? Yeah. You see what they're doing? So now, they're, now, just to be fair, they're below the salary floor, so they yep. kind of have to spend the money. But they're signing their G League players yep. and then and then cutting them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to play for the Knicks anyway. They don't have room to give them yeah. minutes right now. But by doing that, they're giving them each, I don't know how much it is, like 100 grand or something. Yeah, and that means something. And that's like, they're doing that like, and look, I'm not trying to say like, well, that's going to get them Kevin Durant next time around, but- that's an agent and an organization that's trying to change the narrative around yeah. its and and I agree that ultimately they have to do it with free agents and they have to do it with great yeah. drafting, but that is Leon and and Wes Wesley and Brock Aller and uh Scott Perry, I, I guess, is there yeah. too. That is them attempting to 
change what is about you know what is known about them. And um, you know, we have seen <laughs> there are two teams that have been run by agents who've slipped rings on their fingers. Yeah. Bob Myers and Rob Palinka. Now <laughs> I know having Steph Curry and LeBron James and Kevin Durant, that's all very nice. You need that too. But um, there's a, there's, there was a reason why Jim Dolan went with this mm-hmm. route of rejecting the concept of Masai, who I'm sure he probably could have written a check big enough to get. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I suspect there was a deal to be done there. Um, and he went this route and we'll see. Maybe in three years we'll say, well, it was another false start. But at least you can see what they're doing. You can see them working, Ramona. I think it's a fair point. And I think, and I think with Tibbs, like we had the, you know, one of the topics we talked about on the jump last week when they were in the midst of this win streak. Um, Tibbs had had said something to Emmanuel quickly, and he revealed it to the media. This is how come, things come out now. <laughs> it never comes from like the coach. Or, it's always a player, you know, lets it out. But quickly says, um, "Hey, we're not supposed to come into the into the practice field tomorrow. We have a blackout day. Like if we even try to show up, they'll take away our key card." And everybody was like, whoa, Tibbs is giving the players rest. Like, and, and I think there's something, there's something larger going on too, Brian. And, and it's, it's not just with the Knicks. It's with several other organizations that when you hire a big name coach, okay. Um, whether, whether it's a big name coach or not a big name coach, right? Most coaches want to hire everyone on their staff. They want to hire every single guy that's going to be working with them. That's like a prerequisite that's understood. But in the last couple of years, the team that won it last year, the Lakers, Frank Vogel didn't necessarily hire his whole staff. He, Took some input, he definitely didn't. You know? I mean, <laughs> right. you know, he and Jason Kidd, who doesn't get enough credit for the way that they've managed that that Laker roster over the last couple of years. That 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 partnership, remember when the Lakers hired Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd was his lead assistant and everybody said, Oh, it's gonna be how many? Ten yeah, games before we start. They were, they were you know, bookies yeah. in Vegas. They were putting odds on how yeah. long it would be before Jason Kidd was the head coach. It's been seamless been seamless and and that was one of the things that the lakers really felt was they their front office their ownership group wanted input on the staff same thing has happened in new york okay they're hired leon rose hired tibbs that was one of his former clients okay everybody you know knows that relationship well um but also he believed in tibbs but he also knows him well enough to know hey i gotta put some guys on there that i think are are, are good matches for him and sometimes the people you choose to work with aren't always the best fits right um, it doesn't, that's not to knock tips in other places, but I, I can't, when I made some calls last week about this, nobody can say enough good things about Kenny Payne, Johnny Bryant, Darren Ehrman, some of the other guys on that staff. <laughs> Mike Woods, Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson. Woodson. Yeah. yeah. Mike Jones is coaching in Indiana. Yeah. Now. I mean, yeah. that staff who, you know, Tibbs had, Tibbs consulted on, but it wasn't necessarily all his idea. This was, this was Leon Rose and, and Wes and, and the other guys running that franchise. They, they felt like they needed some guys to balance out Tibbs, okay? Tibbs is a maniacal worker. He would he would be there 24 hours a day. I mean, he would literally – they should just build him an office. There what about taking his there. key card? Good. Save him Everybody some time. His key yeah, card? Yeah. yeah, but you know what? When your coach is like, that's fine, but you got to have other people who can balance that out, and I think that's what those guys have done. Yeah, I'm sure one thing I'm sure one thing that, that Tibbs might have been guilty of in the past is, is putting together a staff that might have been too much like him. You know, head down for yeah. watching film all the time, all basketball twenty four seven. I think with like like Tibbs, still like many coaches when they're out of basketball. Last season, we saw Tibbs a lot at, all at the Clippers time. practices, yeah, and Clipper games and Laker games because he was going around the country, spending weeks at a time at different places. He was staying at Doc Rivers' house. Living with Doc for a yep. while, and he was at almost every Clipper practice, and I'm sure he saw. Oh man, that's a run. reality TV show if I yeah. ever had one. Yeah, yeah. I, I I remember the day that oh, Leon man. and Leon and 
I remember the day that Leon and Wes got hired. Yeah. I saw Tibbs that night too. at Staples Center. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he had a smile yeah. on his face. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying it was a done yeah. deal. He had a smile on his face. I was like, I'll see right. you in New York next year. And it was a <laughs> we, We're out of time. We're out of time. Thank you, Ohm. Thank you, Ramona. Good stuff happening in the NBA uh, at the at the front, at the back, and in the middle. Don't forget to watch all that. All right. Thank you, Tony, our producer. Hope everyone has a good week. We'll talk to you soon.